Did you consider playing Matt Murray at all tomorrow? No. And Sh Sheldon, there's such a burden on John, Willie, Austin, and Mitch. What, what's the message to them heading into that one game? Um, I, I'm sorry, I, I missed the beginning part of your question. I was thinking about it. Buster, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sheldon, Sheldon. The idea of starting Matt Murray, who makes $5 million and is a two-time Stanley Cup champion. Not a good idea in the mind of Sheldon Keefe. A quick amendment to the previous story about Tommy Cool. He shot the 62 at Illini Country Club. Texture's not happy with you. That's the Illini. me. That's the me version of Texture. Be like, know your golf better, Justin. I was gonna. I was gonna say. I mean, if <laughs> if the guy shot a 62 at LA Country yeah. Club, Max Homa would have a word because he's the course record. He should there. know, though. I mean, he knows what he knows. He knows this course. He that knows. He's playing at. He knows. Anyway, not cool. Still. Let's get back in the Leafs discussion uh, with our next guest, Sam Cosentino, Sportsnet NHL draft analyst. Uh, we'll talk about Leafs. We'll talk about Bedard. Good morning, Sam. Good morning. So where do you want to start here? We'll choose your own adventure, Sam. Yeah, well, the Leafs could be a long conversation. Bedard will be a short <laughs> one, that's for sure. Okay, let's go long here. and we see if time for uh, Connor Bedard. Uh, what stuck out the most to you while watching the Leafs, you know, give back what they gained give back what they gained in a six-game series against the Tampa Bay Lightning in three games here against the Florida Panthers? Like, what is top of mind? What is burning for you? So, it's it's kind of the same issue for three teams, and that's that's the power play. And if the power play's going, these teams win, and if it's not, uh, it doesn't. So, look at Dallas last night, two for three in the power play. They went pretty handily. They chased Brubauer as the only guy not to have been replaced um, in the second round so far. So that was something that was quite interesting to me. You look at the Edmonton Oilers, they get basically one and a half power plays. I mean, I think it was two minutes and 40 seconds of power play time the other night. One of them was in garbage time when the game was out of reach. They don't score in the power play, they lose. Uh, and I look at Toronto, wasn't even uh, granted a power play. Uh, what was it, two games ago or la last game? And uh, as a result of that, they don't win. So that's the first thing that sticks out to me, the reliance on the power play for some of these these. Uh, you know, deep and talented teams. So then it comes back to me, all right, what's what's going to happen? We talked with the Oilers all year long about, okay, the McLeods, the Ryans, the Yamamotos, these guys have had success providing secondary scoring to support for years what's been, you know, the, the, the main issue there, uh, just Dreisaitl and McDavid getting it done. And then you look at Dallas, and it's the same sort of thing that goes on there. You know, we're transitioning from the, the Ben and the Sagan phase into the Robertson-Hintz phase. And uh, that sort of thing exists with the power play. So for Toronto, you know, you talk about Matthews, Marner, Nylander, the core four. Uh, Tavares not being able to get a goal in the series. Well, that's in large part because they've been limited on the power play. And that's not to say that they don't get it done five on five like they did in the regular season. It's just more difficult to do it here in the playoffs, and that's something they're going to have to fight through tonight if they want to uh, extend their lives. Yeah, it'll certainly be a big part of it. You know, uh, NHL officiating, we know it's always a, a topic, a conversation. I'd be shocked if they went two games uh, without without getting a power play there. So we'll see uh, how, how that bodes for them tonight. You know, Sam, obviously you do a lot of work with prospects, and I'm going to keep this as an NHL conversation, but a lot of the conversations we've had about the Leafs was not the play style or the talent level, but the personality. Is there some 
personality flaw with this group. You know, there is a lot of robotic nature. You hear the comments that come out of them of, well, take it one day at a time, process-oriented. doesn't seem like anybody's getting mad. Is that kind of one of the hardest things of scouting and prospects and understanding is, yeah, everybody can watch tape and understand, you know, what a guy has an ability to do on the ice. But is that kind of the hardest thing, the black box, if you will, of being a scout, the idea of finding out not what a player's capable of, but what kind of person they are and not to say, you know, good person, bad person, but personality traits, how driven they are, those types of things. Well, if, if I look at the group that's on the ice right now, then, you know, I don't, I don't see that being a, a major issue or character flaw when I go back to the draft years of those players. I mean, Matthews, how could you not love a Marner? Watched him throughout his career in London. Same thing with Tavares and Oshawa in London. Uh, so, like, that, I don't find that to be an issue with the current uh, group moving forward. If I look at Matthew Nyes in the small uh, sample in which he's played, he looks to me like a guy who's gonna, you know, who's gonna go out and play hard from a personality perspective. He's someone I never got to meet in the draft process, but based on what the eyes telling me, um, I don't see that to be an issue there. So the separate part of the conversation is moving forward and the due diligence done on on prospects by any team and. No, I think Toronto's a team that, that quite obviously has, uh, you know, an, an endless amount of resources outside of the salary cap to uh, dig in on these types of things. So I don't think systematically, from Kyle Dubas on down through their through their scouting staff, that that that's an, an issue because there's all sorts of resources they have available to them, to them, be it multiple interviews, you know, taking players out for dinner. Uh, any kind of test that they may run on players, especially when you get to the combine, um, I don't find that to be an issue with, with the group. Now, I can't speak to the players that are coming up, but again, same thing with Joe Wall. Uh, drafted in 2016, some of the comments I read about him yesterday and preparing for tonight's game, you know, character doesn't seem to really be an, an issue for me there. So the, what I would say is this, though, moving forward as some of Kyle Dubas's prospects end up playing for Toronto, um, you know, if that's something that rears its head, for me, there would be no excuse for that to happen. But we're talking about hypotheticals here. So I think it's a situation where every team really has spent a lot more time and resources, especially in recent years, the last five to ten, in doing uh, that type of work. What type of kid is he? Talk to the billet, talk to the parent, the teacher. Uh, teammates, trainers, equipment managers, all of those things come into play. And uh, I know that's an important part of the process for every team, and I suspect that that's not any different for Toronto. Well, it feels like there is a pretty sizable draft and development issue here for the Maple Leafs. I mean, if you look at the list uh, of guys who have been drafted and developed who are going to be supporting the core four, and I guess Morgan Riley as well, core four adjacent, uh, it's Timothy Lilligren tonight and Joe Wall and list. And Joe Wall is an emergency goaltender, really. Uh, he's not the preferred option. And Timothy Lilligren may or may not play more than 10 minutes. Um, and again, this is symptomatic of a team going for it, making mistakes, having to erase mistakes. But the Matthew Nice thing was so special and so new and so fun because it's such a rare occurrence for the Leafs to actually have someone since Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner got here come in and make a statement and actually help this core achieve something. And he did in the first round, being on the ice for three overtime winners for the Maple Leafs. Like, how glaring is the draft and development issue for the Toronto Maple Leafs? Well, the, the way I look at it is, is when you 
when you have a I guess a system or a program that's been put in place where so much of your resources are devoted to the to the quote core four, you have to find a way to surround those guys. So what do you do? Is it your draft and development? Are you bringing up players because they're cost effective, maybe earlier than they should be? So that's one element to consider. The next element is: Are you drafting players that are good enough to be up there to support that group? And I guess the third element and probably the more important element is, and that, and this is how it's been done here in the last few years, is we're going to support that group with older, more experienced veteran players, the, the Camps, the Kashis, the Yarn Croaks, um, the Acheris, those types of players. And so for me, I, like I don't necessarily have a problem with that. But what happens now, I guess, is what you're going to, is what you need to look at. Who are the guys coming? Who are the, the, the Topi Nimalas? Who are the next Matthew Nyes? Who are the guys coming that are going to supplement the group moving forward? Or do you continue with the core four and continue to find Giordano at a million bucks, Spezza at a million bucks, those type of players? So I guess we could answer the question by saying, to this point, that hasn't worked beyond a first-round victory for Toronto. And, you know, is that, is that acceptable? Is that okay? Fan base surely thinks not. I would say that we're going to have a pretty good answer in the next couple of weeks here as to whether upper management thinks that's okay or not. But to this point, the proof is in the pudding. It that that program hasn't worked. Sports so, and again, if you're if you're okay with getting in the playoffs, if that's your measure of success is getting into the playoffs and and winning one round in you know in 20 years, then I guess it's okay. But I would say for the fan base and probably proper management, I think we're, we're going to understand if Toronto especially bows out here in the second round, that's probably not okay. Uh, Sam Cosentino, rather, uh, with us here. Um, so some sectors of the fan base celebrated Kyle Dubas for getting out from underneath the Peter Morazic contract, moving down a couple spots, still getting Fraser Minton, a lot of excitement over that because, hey, they got their guy anyway. But if they have to do that again this year to bury Matt Murray, uh, what's your, what would be your reaction to that? Well, there, you know, I don't think there's anyone in hockey who, when that move was made, that the risk, the, you knew the risk was there. Yeah. And it's interesting because the way I looked at the the goaltending situation was, if you can get Samsonov and Murray, and you can get Samsonov to feel good about his game for half the games, and Murray to feel good about his health for half the games, that you should be able to mix and match these two and be able to play a full season. So that obviously hasn't happened. And, you know, really, if you look down the NHL, the two-goalie system, it doesn't really work anymore. I think there's, you know, how many teams have – two teams for sure in the playoff have already used three goalies. So now, now you have to – what's your insurance? If you're happy with Joe Wall being the insurance, he's the guy of the future, drafted in 2016. His time is right about now. He should be ready to rock and roll. And I think he's going to be the guy of the future. Then – I guess that works out fine. But I think for a team with all the resources and, and being able to max out the payroll to go into a, you know, an elimination game and probably a couple of elimination games if they get past tonight with Joe Wall, that probably is not acceptable. So, again, when I look at the, the Murray thing, it came with a ton of risk. I think Kyle Dubas obviously felt that he knew the person with his relationship going back to his days of junior and thought that with the resources available to them, that from a health perspective, they'd be able to keep him healthy 
for, let's say, 50 games, 40 in the regular season and another 10 or so in the playoffs. And obviously that hasn't happened. So, again, that's something that they're going to have to move off of and move on from because that's not a risk that I don't think they can assume moving forward. And you have to think that Samsonov, after the year he's had, is probably due for a big race. Yeah, the RFA status uh, will help them a little bit there. But, yeah, definitely uh, going up from from what the Leafs were able to, to get them to sign for last summer. Uh, you know, Matthew Nye is a guy you mentioned. Uh, we, we've talked about him for, for two straight years. And, boy, it was nice to see him uh, live up to the hype that, that we had all heaped on him. Uh, did what you saw out of him change your opinion at all or just kind of confirm exactly what you thought in terms of the player? Because I know just from my own perspective, there was a little bit of I was waiting to be disappointed with how excited we all were about him and with the big body and the presence and you know you see all the situations the Leafs were using him in the confidence they had in him uh, and his ability to you know just just look comfortable in those games uh, did it change your opinion of him at all or just kind of confirm things for you no it confirmed things for me I think I've been on record as saying that this guy was a bit of a unicorn in the Leafs system for his size and his ability to play with some heaviness yet play with the you know a skill level that would uh, definitely work by being able to play all over the lineup, including playing in the top six. So it confirmed what I said. And, you know, it, you try and corroborate the work you do on these things. And David Quinn's the head coach of San Jose. He coached Matthew in, uh, at the Olympics and said, oh, man, this guy, I, I'm not worried about him at all. He's, he's ready for the NHL. So when it, you, you kind of take what you've known and what you've seen, and then you corroborate it with, uh, you know, one of 32 guys in the National Hockey League who's had the experience to, to be able to work with him through the Olympics, that to me is, is was good enough. And so, you know, looking for, for big things out of, out of Matthew Nyes moving forward. And, you know, it's going to be huge for Toronto because, again, from a cap perspective, they're going to be able to have at least a couple of years where he can control that salary. All right, let's get to the short stuff. Uh, NHL draft lottery goes the Chicago Blackhawks way. So fill in the blank for me. Connor Bedard or Chicago is the blank spot for Connor Bedard. <laughs> is the best season ticket seller in the league. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would not, I hate to say this, but Columbus probably would have needed him the most because that's the team that's been mired in mediocrity basically since day one. You know, Philadelphia, it seems like things are still a bit of a mess over there. The Vancouver, although they had such a slight chance, for me that would have been the top landing spot. But being Canadian, I guess the next spot where it would have made some sense and there was some probability was Montreal. And then would that have been fair that they get the number one pick, you know, two years in a row? So... From a from a pure league perspective, I think Chicago is probably the best place he could have landed. Yeah, because that's a that's a key key market for the league, and you know we've seen what's happened there the last few years. Yeah, uh, Sam, we might have to call you back quickly, although we're kind of at the end of it here. Well, hopefully we can reconnect quickly because yeah, I do want to ask about uh, Fantilli and what Columbus Same might thing. do there. But, uh, yeah, Sam turned into a robot on us there for a second. Yeah, I agree. Kind of like there are other options. There are ones that may be more maybe better for this network, better for the Canadian hockey fan. But in terms of landing in a spot where we're going to see a lot of Connor Bedard, he can change the fortunes of a franchise that is very, very important to the league. Uh, we're definitely with you there, Sam. Uh, let's get to the number two pick. Uh, Anaheim sliding down to number two. Bobby Ryan and now Adam Fantilli. Is Fantilli to Anaheim a lock based on uh, based on your projections and how you size up these pros- prospects heading into the draft? 
Yeah, I would think so. I mean, Pat Verbeek is a little bit of an unknown for me in terms of what uh, he's looking for and looking to do here. But I think when I'm looking at Adam Mantelli, he'd be a hard guy for me to pass up on number two. And the way I look at it is Chicago sort of replaced Patrick Kane with Connor Bedard, and I think now Anaheim can replace Ryan Getzlaff with, with Adam Fantilli. You're talking about a big center who maybe is not quite as aggressive physically as what uh, Getzlaff was, but in terms of point production, leadership capabilities, and the ability to, to, to lead a club, I think Fantilli can be that guy. It's going to be lots of fun for me to watch him play at the World, so just to see how he fits in and, and maybe get a better gauge as to whether or not he'd be ready to play as early as next year in the NHL or or maybe one more year at Michigan. Yeah, it'll be. Uh, it's always fun to see those guys at the Worlds. You know, it's it's nice to watch that tournament, regardless with NHL players. But the uh, the the guys bursting onto the scene, all, always fun there. Uh, one other one uh, about the draft uh, before we let you go, uh, Michkov. Obviously, you know, as far back as a couple of years ago, it was looked at as a. You know, I think this was probably a fake horse race. But oh, could he be in the mix with Bedard there? Obviously, Fantilli seems to have kind of surpassed him. We know he's had some family issues as well. Uh, what's going on with him heading into the draft? Where could you kind of see him? potentially sliding to two two places the first would be arizona because they pick again at 12 and they're still going to be a really good player there plus it fits arizona's timeline if and when they ever get into a new a new building the other place would be washington and i think the obvious reasons exist exist there when you have alexander ovechkin you've had a lot of success with russian players i think the possibility presents itself for him to be picked there uh, other than that honestly it's a real crapshoot so those would be two targets I'd be looking at here in the, in the top 10. From a pure hockey player perspective, he deserves to be in the top three conversation. But there are so many other factors that are, that are going to play a part here that uh, either a multi-team, uh, a multi-pick team, or a team that's had success with Russian players in the past would be the targets for me. Uh, Arizona scheduled to pick sixth and the Washington Capitals slide in at number eight. Not used to seeing Washington up there in the top 10, oh, but uh, a Russian player at number eight. It's perfect. Oh, it's perfect. Sometimes things just work <laughs> out. Uh, Sam uh, it worked out for us this morning because we were able to chat with you. We appreciate you coming on and uh, we will certainly chat again soon. Okay, guys. Thanks. Take care. Uh, that's Sam Cosentino, Sportsnet's NHL draft analyst. Uh, we should clip that that part about him maybe going back to Michigan. Just send it to Morosi. Get him all hot and bothered this morning. He was very <laughs> adamant that he wanted to see that uh, yeah, so, yesterday when we talked to him. Yeah, he's going to the Worlds. Connor Bedard not. That's fine. I, like, personally for me, especially because I won't have Leafs games to watch after tonight when they inevitably bow out. Uh, <laughs> but personally for me, I would like to watch Connor Bedard at the right. World Championships. Of course. Of course. But why? Like, what? Why what? not? Why not? I, I think I, I, I'm a why not guy. Why not? Well, I mean, it's the this is and I suppose the the counter argument to what I'm about to say, I'll, I'll pre argue against myself is that what type of injury would he have to suffer to not go first overall? Would would he have to die? Like, would he have to break <laughs> both his legs? Honestly, like, what would have to happen? A, a, a sizable over there, one, right? A sizable one. But that's the issue. You're going into what is supposed to be the start of a transcendent NHL career. You want to be focused on that. I get it. I get it. I totally understand the pushback of why not. But I do completely understand it. We see this all the time in many different sports. I'm not going to kill him for it. I would, of course, like to see him there. The guy who I did kill for not going to, uh, wasn't the Worlds, but it was the Olympics, was Kale McCarr. 
because this was when the NHL players weren't there and he mm-hmm. was still at, what was it UMass that he went, where he went to school? And he basically had said, I didn't want to go to, I didn't want to go, I didn't want to miss the World Juniors and then go leave my team for the Olympics. So the whole point of being in school was to be with this team. And at the time I said, how many, how many chances this guy could have to play for Team Canada in the Olympics? <laughs> but... That actually proved Maybe to be zero. correct because it's not because of his play. It's because the NHL and the Olympics could never get along. Right. Uh, Fantilli, interesting, though, because, uh, I mean, we were talking about, can Fantilli catch Bedard pre-World Junior? And we're like, oh, no, 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 no. There's one player who is so far ahead of the other, and I don't think there's going to be, uh, I don't think the same thing will apply. In fact, I think there'll be less expect- expectation, therefore more upside for Fantilli. Totally. But he's in the driver's seat for number two, and I guess if he doesn't play well at the Worlds, it can only hurt him. So I do appreciate guys just going to play. want to play hockey. You do this for a reason, to play hockey, not to protect draft stock well, that's already in concrete. And quickly, you want to, you want to talk about risking it. If he falls from number two to number three, he is trading in a life in Orange County for one in Columbus. You want to talk about stakes. Cause <laughs> just compared him to Ryan Getzlaff. You go ask, uh, and as a guy who had Ryan Getzlaff in studio on trade deadline day, let me tell you, the guy loves his life in Orange County. I don't think he'd be as happy if he was a jacket all all those years ago. I don't think so. So you want to talk about really putting it on the line for your country? You are potentially forcing yourself to live in Columbus for the first eight years of your professional you life. Don't, you don't get a permatan living in Columbus. No. That but is for sure. If he falls all the way to four, then he's a shark. So I don't know. Maybe maybe he's playing the long game here. I go. don't know. There's just one landmine there. Uh, let's get to uh, something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Okay. Uh, that, that's, yeah. Don't we'll, even don't we'll deal talk with about it. We'll don't, deal with that. They're going to. They'll get us if this, we mention it. This from Larry Brooks, Brooksy. So, uh, guess that's what I'm saying. This isn't like you know concrete reporting here. So I will just quote him. He tweeted this yesterday. So I will pass along this scenario that was just presented to me. Dubis leaves Toronto to become Pittsburgh GM. We've heard that. Brings Keith with him. As such, fires Mike Sullivan, who in turn becomes a free agent and permissible to become the New York Rangers head coach. So a lot there. I mean, he's getting to his New York Rangers point. Yep. Mike Sullivan uh, potentially going there. Two things here. Former Rangers assistant with torts. There you go. Two things here. Sheldon Keefe, or Kyle Dubas rather, would be crazy to bring Sheldon Keefe with him anywhere he goes, right? Well, to me, I, I am, I'm just going to, I'm just going to explain how I think Kyle Dubas would think about that. I'm not disagreeing with your okay. premise, okay. but to me, there would be no further proof that in his heart of hearts, in Kyle Dubas's belief that the problem was the personalities of the core. That would say a lot. Bringing Sheldon Keefe. It would would be be clear as day that Toe Blake and his prime could not get through to these guys. So I'm not going to put this on Sheldon. That is what now, if I am Kyle Dubas and I am starting a new regime, I probably do not bring Sheldon with me. That is not. And again, I want to be so clear about this. The Leafs are not in the position they're in because of Sheldon Keefe. I do not think that remotely, but not the move I would make, but that would be a 1000% kiss of death for what Dubas thought about this core. Immediately. The new GM for the Maple Leafs would have to make a trade, would have to find a dance partner and get one of these core four players out because that would be a, that would be the indictment of all indictments. Yeah. The number two though, 
didn't Mike Sullivan, isn't he, like, since Fenway Sports Group took yep. over in Pittsburgh, hasn't he been, like, the guy? Their guy. The guy making decisions, the guy advising, consulting, doing basically everything right away, for the franchise? If, if I, I'm, I'm trying to remember because I read this a while ago. Somebody had a great, it was in The Athletic, a great rundown of a lot of NHL coaches getting extended, not with a year left on their deal, but with two, with three. Sullivan was one of those guys. So clearly somebody who's really important to whatever Fenway Sports Group thinks mm-hmm. is going on there as well. The other part of that, and, you know, I'm not taking away what Fenway thinks about him, but this is a kind of Brian Burke thing. Like, he takes care of his guys, so there's a little bit of a part of, of, of that as well. But, yeah, they clearly are very invested in and, what he's and doing. yet, there. I think Sullivan was like, yeah, we need a, we need a change up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty sure. So maybe it wasn't sure Burke that was a Sullivan the thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, this guy, it's Lemieux, and then it's Sullivan in that organization. At least it well, feels there's, there's like. Well, there's, there's a Canadian guy from the Maritimes who slides yeah, somewhere yeah, okay. in between there, but is, I is it Is it Sid Lemieux, Sully, or no, is it it's Lemieux, still, it's, Sid, Sully? It's still, it's still Mario up top. And Malkin four? Well, Malkin, nah, they kinda, I, Malkin I, I, thinks he's one. He'll tell you three years yeah. Russian Super League. Didn't so. Sid have to convince them to keep Latang and Malkin around? Yes. Anyway, that's uh, and, and guess what? He got his way, which kind of proves exactly where he is in the pecking exactly, order. Exactly. Uh, so we shall see what happens there. We'll wait until game four of the Eastern Conference semifinal yeah. is played. Uh, after the break, we've got Michael Layton, who's in goal. One of the four times in NHL history, a team has come back for 3-0. Did that with the Philadelphia Flyers back in 2010. He's now the goaltending coach for the Windsor Spitfires. So we'll touch on... My Windsor Spitfires. One of several OHL teams I claim because I spent some time in Windsor. So my Windsor Spitfires. What are the other ones? Just quickly. Uh, Kitchener Rangers because I did some updates in Kitchener. Know the broadcast crew there. Uh, those, those are the main two. And then I'm you know I'm out Burlington way, so I got to be a Hamilton Bulldogs guy, I think. But I'll be honest, that's like pretty tepid okay. at this point. Arbor Jack guy. Shout out. Uh, <laughs> we will... Uh, Uh, We will talk to him about the goaltenders involved in this series, but also what it takes to come back from three, nothing because we haven't really left the door open and we're going to, we're going to at least explore that after the break. Mm, Yum, 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 yum. The best blue Jay show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, good reminder here in the text line. Brent, Justin, one game at a time. Too early for eulogies. Fly the ragged car flag proudly. That's Rick in Niagara. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> we have been doing the eulogy. I got a shout out. Rick is my guy. Rick Rick has kept me afloat when I've been filling right. in for you and Ailish at various times. I won't I won't give everyone the details, but he'd send in a great fake grinder story when I was shouting out all my grinders. So He's got, love Rick in Niagara. In brackets, him. fake grinder. Yeah, he knows. He knows. So yeah, we've, it has been doom and gloom, death march, eulogy. It has been that. So let's look at it a different way uh, before we get to Michael Layton here. What can be accomplished tonight in your mind, Gunner? Like we've talked about consequences of losing. What does a win get you tonight if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs? It gets you hmm, a chance at redemption. That's the first thing. Like they're like, I want to be clear. I will not live in this fantasy world where this is going to happen and Michael Layton is going to come on about 10 minutes time and tell us it's totally possible. And that's great because he lived it. So he can tell me it's going to happen. I'm not getting myself there until we're at least in game six. So in theory, you give yourself another day. I think the biggest thing that can be accomplished for this team is an individual thing, which is a problem because all we've said the whole time is talking about how all these guys care about is individual things. And it's all about the guy between the pipes for me. Joe Wall comes in and looks good. It does not matter whether he wins this game or not. It really, truly does not. 
But if he comes in and looks the part, continues to look exactly like he's looked, it gives you confidence that he can at the very least be a 1B. Now, I don't think one game undoes what he's built up this year, but he can really stamp it home with the first. Because again, coming in in a game you're not expected to in the playoffs is very different from sitting there for three days knowing you're going to start it. It is a completely different animal. So I think that is probably at first blush the biggest thing that can be gained for this team is Joe Wall kind of stamping home everything that we've seen from him this year. Okay, I'll I'll uh, I'll go with this. It, it you save face a little bit if you win this game, a little bit. You avoid embarrassment, you avoid avoid humiliation at least for the time being. And that beyond that, I think that's the only See, way. I think I, I actually think it goes the other way. I think it doesn't do anything for them in the moment, but in September when we talk about this or in when we're doing the eulogy of this Leafs era, we don't say they got swept. We say they lost in five. Okay, so you kick the embarrassment at least down the road, right? Yep. That's all you can accomplish tonight is avoid, like, and it's really, I think if you're the Maple Leafs, that's all you can really focus on. Let's not get embarrassed here. Let's give our, let's have some dignity. Let's have a decent effort. Let's band together rather than have the cracks continue to form Mm -hmm. between us. Let's actually put up a fight. It's about trying to save face, maybe even just individually. Like if we're we're talking about consequences for the team and the organization, I guess for what the fan base is going to be geared into, but William Nylander could be potentially playing for his, uh, his role here in Toronto for the opportunity to be a, a Toronto Maple Leaf. That could be the reality tonight for William Nylander. If things get so dire, maybe Mitch Marner's in the same boat. And we know Austin Matthews is control of everything. But for a lot of the players on this team, it's about, hey, do you still want to be with this organization? Because if you know show tonight, mm-hmm. if you willingly accept the humiliation, then there's a good chance you won't be here because things are going to be so different in the front office. And how could you not start your work with game four when really there's nothing to play for, but there's everything to play for, right? Like you could know show and then you tell the organization, the fan base, exactly who you are as a person and as a professional hockey player. So I think individually and at the team level, you can avoid some humiliation or at least put it off until Friday night, Saturday, whatever. Yeah, I think there's something to that. The other thing I'll I'll point to is it's something that kind of jumped out to us when we were looking at the lines and the pairs this morning is, and again, it's one game. They they could look like the greatest D pair of all time, and it doesn't mean anything. It means they had one good game together. But if McCabe and Lilligren looks like a thing, if that's something that you can have some confidence in, that you can look at, again, this is, and again, Leighton's going to come on in a couple minutes and he's going to tell us it's all possible, and these guys need to believe that. But looking ahead to next year, if you can look at two guys that you have under contract and say, at the very least, <laughs> you can't get past the eulogy. Eh? We're, we're no, next no, year. no, I can't. We're no, honestly, we're next year, next year. That is what it is. That's what you take out of tonight. That is the positive. Is, okay. is McCabe and Lilligren looking good together? Because hey, okay, I'll live in your fantasy land where they're going to come back and win this series. You need a D pair to start performing well together. Okay, so that's as good a one to start. If it, another positive is if is Morgan Riley needs a return to what he's been in this playoffs. He has been far from the reason that this series has gone the way it's been, but he's taken a half step back in this series, much like everyone else has from what you got against Tampa. You would like to see him kind of, again, whether it's extend this thing for a couple more games, whether it's avoid going out with a whimper, you'd like to see Morgan Riley kind of have one last hurrah in this because he has been, for everybody who has been eating it left, right, and center, rightfully so, Morgan Riley has been the one guy to avoid strays, rightfully so. Okay, I'm going to keep the door open. Okay, that's fine. 
So game four, you can avoid humiliation. If you win game four, though, you also set up a game where you can transfer the pressure. You yes, can. that's true. That is true. Okay, so if, if winning game four is about saving face, game five would be about trying to transfer the pressure because we I was on fan drive time with mm-hmm. Ben Ennis yesterday. We had Justin Williams on. And when they knew in 2014, when they came back, when they knew it was possible was after game five when they had felt that the other team, the San Jose Sharks mm-hmm. in that case, who a lot of parallels between the Sharks and the Leafs, Boy, by the way. Um, they felt that they, it was in their heads at that point because they had lost two games in a row, that they weren't sure that they had buried this team yet. They felt a change in the opponent at that point. And right now, Florida, for at least two more games, can be on the high horse, can just be dominant, can just mm-hmm. be, can say anything, can do anything, can really do no wrong. They have a free roll at the table tonight. They have a free roll really in game five. But after game five, that's when you have to at least concern yourself with the possibility of blowing a series in epic proportions. So I think there are little things and little checkpoints along the way here if you're willing to entertain the possibility of a comeback, which is can we save face in game four? Can we transfer the pressure in game five? And then who knows where you go from there? You know how I know that's true? Because this is the exact, not the exact scenario because Tampa had won a game in this, this, that series, but that's what the Leafs had staring down the barrel of them being up three, one. And you don't want to put yourself in the position where all of a sudden Montreal, it's a game seven at home, Montreal, the exact same thing. So the Leafs know this. Well, if you can do it to the other team and the other part of this as well as we've seen, if I'm going to, again, look for positives tonight, we've seen with this Leafs team. This is kind of when they're at their absolute best. Everyone has been crapping on them for three days and really longer than and that. And you expect that. And you, you do. You do expect that. You, personally, yes. Gunner, yes. expect oh, them. Tonight, I think 6 nothing win for the Leafs is on the table. The, when, the, when the night is always darkest before the dawn or whatever the scenario is, it has been awful. And when this team gets in a rut like this, they do not slowly come out of it with a one nothing win. Generally speaking, they get shot out of a cannon and go on a big run. So if it happens, it happens with a big, big win tonight. So if they explode like you believe they can. I do. We could be talking about a game five. We could. At home Friday night where there is something real there that you could actually plant the seed of doubt in a game five if you can get there. And if you don't step on the rake before you have that opportunity. Right? Yep. Very so, much. Uh, very much did possible. I, did I make you feel any better? Open the the uh, well, hope is Door a dangerous. Hope is a dangerous thing. So you gave me it, but eventually it's just gonna. I'm gonna be more. I, like I'm gonna be screaming at you tomorrow that you made me have this conversation today. <laughs> that, that's fair. <laughs> I will. I will wear that tomorrow. Uh, but it is possible. And our next guest true. is proof of that. Uh, we've got Michael Layton on the line, former NHL goaltender, Windsor Spitfires, Spitfires goaltending coach, but also was in net for the second last time out of four that a team has come back from a three nothing deficit. And guess what? They were down three nothing in Game Seven. Two. Uh, good morning, Michael. How are we doing? How this you morning? doing, guys? Uh, we're we're pretty good. We're pretty good. We're trying. Uh, you know, we've had three days to set up Game Four and the death march that we've been calling it here with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So we've we've kind of gone through like uh, this is the first time we've actually like entertained coming back, and yeah. uh, I think it was a perfect lead-in because you have come back before. So I'll ask you the question that we were just asking ourselves: When you're down three nothing. And you have a game four in, your, in front of you. What does a win in game four get you? Because it doesn't get you back in the series yet, but it gets you at least a step in the right direction. So a win in game four when down 3 nothing accomplishes what exactly? Uh, I think it just gives you confidence and hope, right? Um, 
I think this game is uh, is all about momentum and and just getting a win. Like closing out a series is actually the hardest thing to do because you're once you get to that three nothing, you're expected to win, right? So you're coming in, you're down three nothing, uh, just to have that like pressure off you, like you're supposed to lose. So when you come in that game and you you have nothing to lose and you win, you know, game four, uh, you go into game five thinking, okay. You know, if we win this one, we're in the series. So then the game, uh, you know, it all changes just a little bit. But it definitely just gives you confidence and, uh, you know, a, a little hope that that it is possible. Yeah, it certainly, it certainly does that. You know, how important are the personalities in the room? That's been a big conversation, talking point about just what the kind of mental, personal makeup of this Leafs team is. When you think back of your Flyers team that was able to do it, I mean, a lot of big personalities involved in that. Was there somebody kind of galvanizing the group? Was it every guy just believing in and of themselves? How important is the actual personality makeup of the group to get it done? Yeah, like you got to be realistic. Uh, you know, when you're down three nothing, everyone's pretty uh, pretty upset and and kind of depressed a little bit. So, and down on themselves. But um, you know, us as a group, we we were confident in our team. We didn't think that we played bad. Uh, you know, I've watched the Maple Leafs play the last three games, and and they're not playing bad hockey. So, uh, just to get that confidence as a group to know that you can win the next game, and that's kind of what we did. Uh, you know, with the Flyers, Labulette came in our room and and said, obviously, you guys are disappointed, but can we beat this team one game? And and we all agreed that we we knew we could beat them in in that next game. So we went out, we won that game, and he and and we sat down the next game. <clears throat> and Labulette said, "Okay, I don't care about the last four games now. You guys are down three-one in the series. Can we win this next game?" And we all were like, "Yeah, we're confident as a group. We know we can. We're better than that team, and we can beat them." And we won that game. Then you go to the next game. So it's it's step by step. You got to forget what what just happened and. Uh, and just be confident as players and as your group that you can win, you know, just the next game to, to get you to that game seven. So you guys obviously compartmentalized it the way you needed to, taking it one game at a time. But you can't really, you can't erase the thoughts in your head, right? So early on, you know, you're down 3 nothing. I feel like it would be about survival, right? Can we just get through this one game? And if that's the case, if it's about survival early on, how does it evolve? When, it, when does it go from survival to sport where you are the hunted earlier and you become the hunters? When, does, when did you feel the transfer of pressure or did you feel a transfer of pressure in that series? When did the dynamic really change and shift where you know, the confidence was not just about winning one game, but definitely winning the series. I think when, uh, when we won and uh, the series became three, two, cause then it was like, Oh, okay. You know, they knew we were coming to play every night. They knew the momentum kind of changed a little bit. So again, the pressure was on them, the, the, for them to win, they're supposed to win. If you look at all the odds and the, and, uh, and the statistics they're they were supposed to win. And, and we knew that we were kind of the underdog, just trying to win two more games. And um, the momentum changed, and it was in our favor. And we just kept rolling. And again, it's confidence and believing in yourself that you can actually do it. That that's the biggest part to it for me.
You mentioned Laviolette there, and, you know, sometimes coaches get too much credit, sometimes they get too much blame, you know, much like players, the the answer is somewhere in the middle there, but how important was he in, in all of that? You know, you mentioned the idea of him just saying it's not about winning four games tonight, just winning one game at a time. There has been a lot of conversation in this market about the idea of the same voice, talking to the same group of players over and over again. Uh, you know, much like I asked you about the personality of the players on the team, how much does the coaches and not even so much the coach's belief because like you said everybody's got to be realistic but the coach's personality or the way they handle themselves how much does that impact the the room when you're trying to do something like that oh it's a huge impact and obviously the players got to trust the coach that, they, that he knows what he's talking about too right um uh lavi lev is obviously a, a smart uh knowledgeable coach and and we trusted him and we believed what he said. He said we're the better team and we believe that. And, and being down 3 nothing in that series was just a disappointment because we knew we were better than that. Um, you know, then game seven, we're down 3 nothing uh, in the first 10 minutes of the game. He calls a timeout. He brings us all over and he says, okay, here we are, down 3 nothing. Let's just get the next goal. If we get the next goal before the end of this first period, we, have a, we give ourselves a chance. And what happened? We score... Go into uh, you know second period. I think we were I think we were down three one, and then boom 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 boom. We score four straight and win uh, four three. So Joseph Wall is not really a known commodity yet, but you mentioned that you've been watching. You've watched these uh, this, the first three games of these series, so that means you've seen Joseph Wall uh, in a big spot. What do you make of his game? Uh, he's being looked at again here for Game Four. Uh, he's uh, it, it's it's somewhat hail mary desperation, but if you know Joe Wall, it's kind of not because we've been talking about Joe Wall before Ilya Samsonov even went out. What do you make of him? as a prospect, as an NHL-ready goaltender, and I guess the confidence the Maple Leafs have shown in this kid. Yeah, I, you know, I have three kids and I'm, I'm busy, so I haven't really sat down and watched 60 minutes of each game, but I have you know, flicked it on and, and watched here and there. But um, from what I see, you know, he's just a calm, uh, athletic kid, and uh, he's done very well. His team obviously has confidence in him, um, and he just plays with confidence, which, which gives the players... Uh, you know, um, a good feeling uh, on the ice, and, and he's making the saves he needs to make. And obviously, he came in uh, last game, and it was a huge part, and and shutting the door. And so, I think, uh, you know, they obviously uh, they don't have. I don't know if Murray's healthy or not, but they don't have much choice. You know, and obviously, when you have a player like that, the players are going to rally around him, and and he seems to do well in bigger games. So let's hope that uh, that he comes up with a big one and, and just plays his game and gives him a chance to win. That's all he can do. Uh, goalie on the other side of things, uh, goalie Bob, you uh, you know him, I believe, a teammate of yours uh, in the 2010-2011 uh, uh, Flyers season there. Uh, one, are you, uh, any any fun memories of him from your time together? And two, you know, goalies, uh, well, all players can be streaky to a certain extent. Uh, he is streakier than most. Uh, what do you think leads into a goalie uh, being someone who kind of rides these hot or, or cold streaks uh, e- either way? Yeah, he's he's definitely one of those uh, guys that gets hot and and. and just rides with it um i was traded from philadelphia to columbus uh for steve mason and i got to columbus and they said yeah well you know you'll get a chance to play and from the trade deadline on he started every game and and i wasn't even disappointed because he was phenomenal <laughs> he was the best goal in the league uh and it was unbelievable to watch so uh he, he definitely gets in that rhythm and confident uh and, and when it when he gets to that point, it's, it's tough to beat him. So I think the Leafs just got to get on him, uh, get in his face and, and make it hard on him. And 
Uh, obviously, traffic is something that uh, is hard for any goalie. So get in those dirty areas, get traffic, and and uh, and tip and rebound goals, and, and they just got to make it hard for them. Can't make it an easy game for them. So the confidence thing we've been talking about with the Leafs all season, like, do they run on confidence? Whose confidence is most important? What? Where do they? Like, what's the source of confidence? I mean, you guys look at each other in the room in 2010. I mean, you're looking across the room at Chris Pronger, Mike Richards. There's guys you can easily have confidence in. And I, I don't really know what that dynamic is inside the Maple Leafs room. We can only really guess. But I'll talk to your experience, or I'll let you talk to your experience. Like, when you're in goal, what are you looking for from your team that would give you confidence? Um, just, you know what, just you play 82 games in a season, and, and you have that same routine and, and rhythm you're in and, and the way you're playing, and you just kind of look for that consistency from your team. Um, you're going out playing your, you know, your systems that the coach uh, laid out for you, and and just doing the right things, and and just keeping things simple. And sometimes when you're when you're trying too hard, you you know you, you mess up, and you're you're trying for those long passes or just trying to do too much, right? So I think uh, when you see your players just doing their own jobs and, and working hard, blocking shots, and desperation, and that gives you confidence. Like, hey, I know everyone's bringing it tonight, and I'm going to do the same. Uh, last one for you, Michael. Uh, it's suspected that Ilya Samsonov was playing through injury before he was, in fact, injured in Game 3 and forced to exit the game. Of course, Joseph Wall going in and now playing in Game 4. How hard is it to play the position, to be a goaltender, when you are dealing with something? It's 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 hard. <laughs> I, I definitely did that in my career where I had, uh, had things going on, and it's always in the back of your mind. Um, especially in practice, you know, you, you might not practice as hard as you want to uh, because of that. And then when you get in a game, uh, you know, depending on the injury, sometimes you can just stay so focused on the puck and, and on, on the game and, and playing well. Uh, the injury, you know, goes away a little bit. But, uh, you know, one little tweak, it's right back in your head. So you're sometimes thinking about that, thinking about not re-injuring it or hurting it more in a game while you're playing, which is which is tough to deal with. So. Um, you know, if it's just a, you know, a little bruise on the knee or something that hurts all day and you get in the game, sometimes, like I said, that goes away. But when it's like a sore groin or something and, and it's just a certain movement, you, you stick your leg out and you feel that groin, it's right away, it's in your head, right? So anything that goes in your head besides stopping the puck is not good. You, you want to stay focused on the puck and, uh, and, and playing your best hockey and not thinking about an injury for sure. It was Michael Layton in 2010, and because Ilya Samsonov is injured, it'll have to be Joseph Wall in 2023. Uh, Michael, we appreciate your time this morning, uh, and enjoy Game 4 if it's uh, on the schedule for you tonight. All right, thanks, guys. Have a good morning. Say hi to Savvy for us. I will, for sure. Take care. That's Michael Layton, who uh, came back out of a 3-0 hole in 2010 and is now currently the Windsor Spitfires goaltending coach. Who is uh, working under Mark Savard, uh, Windsor Spitfire's head coach? Pretty impressive class there. Not not a bad uh, group uh, for for some young guys to to work under under, under in Windsor. There, not bad at all. So, proof that it can be done. One look at rosters, though. Yeah, it, it's pretty important. Ooh, there was one name I saw that jumped out. Maybe you go, oh, well, that's a little different. I don't know which, if you had one. No, or who's that? Were, who's that? Oh, it's it's just the the Chris Pronger. Does, yes, he, does yes, he jump yes, out yes, to you yes, at yes. all? Is that a guy who feels like it, if I if I was in a in a dressing room and I looked across the room and I had Chris Pronger mm-hmm. on my team, just me personally, 
I feel 10 feet tall. Well, when I asked him about confidence, I think he could have just said two words, Chris Pronger, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And Chris Pronger authored maybe the greatest playoff performance, and I'm a little biased because I was definitely very, very much into it in 06 with Chris Pronger basically carrying the Edmonton Oilers to a cup final. Then the next year he wins a cup. Maybe Scott Niedermeyer is is the guy winning the Conn Smythe, I believe, that year. year. Um, But Chris Pronger has authored some of the great playoffs in the history of this game. And that, so that's one thing for the Flyers. I'm going to sound 70 years old right now. If you weren't there, you can't understand what a beast. Honestly, you can't. There is uh, no, there yeah. is no unbelievable. One, you always hear people talk about Lindros in this way of like, oh, it's just a, a physical force of which the game will never see. The, there is nobody doing it. They're like, we have special players in this game today. Makar, Heiskanen. You saw what Carlson was able to do. There is Nobody that controls the game the way he did. 30 minutes of complete dominance. Complete dominance. single night. And mushing Justin Bieber into the boards. And then four years later, the LA Kings do it. And the Kings had already won a Stanley Cup. Mm -hmm. Already had guys like Mike Richards. Like Drew Doughty. (laughs) Like Justin Williams, Mr. Game 7. Like guys who had full full confidence in themselves and each other. It takes a certain makeup, you would think, in order to pull off what would be considered unthinkable, unimaginable, coming back and winning four straight games after falling behind 3 nothing. And if you compare this Leafs team and the heartbreak and demons and everything that goes with it to two teams in the Flyers and Kings in the last 15 years to accomplish this, there aren't many parallels to draw. No. Although, quickly, I could picture Chris Pronger saying it'll be fun tomorrow. I don't think he'd say that well down three zip in a playoff series, but I could picture him thinking that because I do think that's just a little tongue in cheek nature. One thing that gave me a little bit of hope. William Nylander is this team's Chris Pronger. What is happening? Wouldn't it be fun to be Chris Pronger in his heyday? Like oh. just complete. What was the when, utter when dominance? It, when it, was it when he was a duck that he was just stealing pucks at the end of there was one cup final it where w- he was just taking was pucks. The ducks, I'm going to take this. this Actually, no, no, it was, it was when that, he was a flyer. It was, that, right. the it was a flyer. Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. Just an awesome jerk move. Love but, him. For but it. just like such a physical force and freak of nature. Yeah that nothing could, it would be impossible to be nonplussed. Like it would just be impossible to be rattled in any single way. And again, that came to the benefit of the Philadelphia Flyers in 2010. Big time. So uh, someone's going to have to grow a few feet (laughs) in order to recreate that magic. Um, After the break, we will continue the discussion of game four of the Eastern Conference semifinal with Mike Rupp, who won a Stanley Cup in 2003 and now serves as an NHL network analyst. He's been, he's been hard on the Leafs previously. He's had some thoughts. So we'll see if he's got some thoughts on the Leafs uh, who are walking that death march. We'll do that after the break. 